You're listening to The CX Show, conversations on customer experience presented by SaleMove. I'm Julie Aronson, Marketing Manager at SaleMove, and welcome to The CX Show, SaleMove's podcast on customer experience. Today, our CEO, Dan McKaylee, speaks to Jim Rembach, President of Call Center Coach, an e-learning platform which develops contact supervisor skill sets for highly successful frontline leaders. In this episode, we talked to Jim about his process for creating a team leader using his training program at Deluxe Financial Services. We'll also discuss how his interest in finance, combined with his passion for helping people, led him to a career in the call center industry. And finally, we'll talk to Jim about what he believes the future of customer experience will look like. So without any further ado, here's Dan and Jim. Welcome to another episode of the CX Show, Sale Moves podcast on customer experience. In each episode, we speak to a senior business leader whose role touches the customer experience, and we dive deep into specific projects or tactics that they've employed to improve it. Today, our guest is Jim Rembach. Jim is the president of Call Center Coach, an e-learning platform which develops contact center supervisors' skill sets for highly successful frontline leaders. He's also the host of The Fast Leader Show, a podcast that shows real examples of how contact center professionals were able to get over the hump and be a better leader for themselves and others. Welcome, Jim. Thank you. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be here. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, how does it feel uh, to be on the other side of the podcasting mic, Jim? (laughs) Well, I can tell you after having 200 plus episodes, uh, you know, it it does seem quite strange uh, because I would dare to say that you know, the amount of time that I'm on this side is minuscule compared to the time when I'm actually sitting in your seat. Well, you have so many good things to talk about and, and so, much, so much relevant experience for our listening base that we're excited to feature you today instead of the other way around. <laughs> and I'm grateful, very grateful. All righty. So can you please tell us a little about yourself? Give us some of your background uh, we'd, love to, we'd love to hear, uh, you know, about your different experiences and where you are today. Well, I'm, uh, I guess you would say I'm a pivot artist at this point, meaning that uh, when I graduated from college with a double major in finance and real estate with hopes on being an investment banker and, banker, banker and getting smacked in the face with the fact that we were in the middle of a recession, I had to do something different. Uh, being a, you know, uh, an athlete who uh, had a couple torn rotator cuffs and, and a baseball player, that was never a good thing. Uh, but I had torn my rotator cuff my senior year in high school with aspirations of playing college baseball. And uh, I tried to get my way back in onto the field and that didn't happen. So I had to pivot. Um, and I, I am one of those strange folks that actually declared my major as, as finance uh, when I was a freshman and kept that all the way through. But I added the real estate piece. A lot of people double majored in finance and insurance, but I wanted to go the real estate path in case I wanted to use that really for you know personal investment purposes, uh, and I'm still working on that one. Uh, but uh, you know, I I I you know when I graduated, didn't have that opportunity to go into investment banking. I had some experience in retail. Um, being an athlete, I actually was a fitness trainer for a little while. Uh, you know, it's paid the bills. I went back and lived at home like so many other folks do when they don't find the things that uh, you know are career based that will allow them to support themselves and. Um, I did that for a little while. Uh, thank goodness to my sister-in-law who helped me get that job. And uh, and then, you know, I wanted, was looking for really that career opportunity. Um, being someone who grew up blue collar, my dad was an aircraft mechanic. 
And uh, I was always around him. He was always fixing something, uh, building something, tearing something down. And I was always by his side. And so I started working for a company called AutoZone uh, because I had, you know, some automotive, you know, skills in my background and uh, I had some retail experience and they were in a hyper growth mode. Beauty about a company like AutoZone that caters to a do-it-yourself or during a down, downturn in the economy is everybody's working their cars. So they were booming like crazy and they were in a growth mode at that point anyway. So I moved quickly up the ranks and eventually found my way into their contact center in Memphis, Tennessee. And then they had a change of senior management and decided to close those. And I saw, uh, you know, I had to pivot and I sought to go back to where home was for both my wife and I, uh, which is North Carolina, and found an opportunity with Deluxe Financial Services and worked with them for a couple of years. I worked with a large credit union uh, and then I started working uh, as a consultant and worked for a company measuring uh, the customer experience for many, many, many years before I had the opportunity to uh, launch call center coach. So there's been several pivots along the way. Um, hopefully, you know, I don't have to pivot anymore with being with call center coach. I'm hoping that this is something that will allow me to take me to retirement. And I just turned 50 this year. So that kind of congratulations gives me of how long I, I want to keep moving down this path. I, it would seem that it would seem that you found your calling, Jim, at this point, I don't think you're too much in risk of having to pivot again. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how did you, you know, thinking about your experience at Deluxe, right? Making that transition or that pivot into the world of CX. What do you think originally drew you into that world? Do you think that there was something in particular about your background that made that appealing? And, and how has that interest sort of carried through over the many years of your career since then? As far as, you know, well, um, I think the whole context center or call center thing uh, you know, happened to me like it does so many other folks. I, you know, I love helping people, um, you know, so that kind of gets you into the point of being customer service and, and, and retail type focused. And, and from the call center perspective, I mean, I love the fast paced nature of it. Of course, I, I mentioned that I was a, you know, declared myself as a finance major, all the numbers that are in the call center, you know, while it drives a lot of people crazy. I mean, I loved it being able to, you know, a monitor, measure, interpret. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to me, that that's exciting. Uh, and then adding the whole dynamic of trying to lead people. Now, I can say that when I first started, you know, uh, like so many other folks, I failed miserably at doing that. I struggled, uh, and I also struggled, quite frankly, when I moved from AutoZone, which our call center. You have to put this in perspective. Our call center was made ma the vast majority of ninety-five percent was male. And because guys work on cars, guys sell mm -hmm. auto parts. And then when I moved to Deluxe, that flipped on me. And I went to 95% female. And I can tell you as a leader, when you start talking about your communication style and skills and how you, how you, how you create that environment where people are, you know, are motivated and motivate themselves, is that um, it's quite different when you, in those two different types of environments. And then you throw in the whole culture piece. And... I jokingly say that like within the first 90 days of my tenure at Deluxe, I upset more women than I have ever met in my entire life <laughs> because you, you, you may upset one or two and then they tell everyone else. <laughs> so it's That's like, and so I've always struggled with that whole, you know, leadership aspect. And so I think for me, that's one of the things that has caused me to try to hone and improve and, and learn 
so much more about it is because it was one of my struggles. And I also find that same thing happen with a lot of the guests that I have on the Fast Leader Show. So I have contact center and customer experience folks and then people who are from the leadership domain. And we focus in on customer centric and human centric leadership in order to be able to create better customer relationships and drive more sales and value and all those things. And, and what I find is that a lot of the people who are experts are experts because they're trying to overcome things that they've struggled with. And it, to me, it's a very interesting human dynamic that um, I've learned to appreciate in myself, because for me, I was always beating myself up, right? It's like, gosh, how come you can't do better than this? How come? And it's like, okay, it's a quest. It's a journey. And it, you know, you can't, you can't fix it, you know, by having an event or watching a movie or reading a book. I mean, it takes time and continuous effort and work. Yeah. You know, that's really interesting. I think that oftentimes, you know, the necessity is the mother of all invention, as they say, right? So the quest for finding those personal answers ourselves often uh, leads us to develop that expertise that you're talking about, right? So, and it makes us, it makes us all, makes it all the more personal for us. And we become more passionate about that in particular. That's exactly correct. I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier, which I found really interesting is talking about how your affinity for finance kind of translated into the quantitative aspects of running a call center, right? I'd love to hear how you think that's different today. And, 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 and well, just in general, I mean, talk, talk to me a little bit about what is the quantitative to qualitative mix that exists today? Has that changed in the call center over the last 20 years? How do you see uh, the, the most successful contact centers merging those two aspects of, of running a successful customer service organization? You know, I never really thought about that until you positioned it in that way, because being a, a finance major, one of the things that we is really a core tenant in all of that is the whole risk and reward model. And that you need to take educated and smart risks in order to receive the benefit of reward. And I'll give you, I tell you a little story about this because it's quite funny um, for those um, who actually can, you know, uh, connect with this. Is that my wife and I had the opportunity many, many, many years ago to to go to a financial advisor, and he actually made us take a test. And the test was on your, your risk tolerance and, and your riskiness. Are you a risky person? And my wife is a tax CPA and she's very conservative. And she always talks to me about me being a risk taker. And I said, okay. So we took this quiz and he comes back and he looks at my wife and he, and he says to her, you're more risky than he is. And she was <laughs> like, there's no way. That's it. There's, it's just not, that's just not possible. He said, Oh yes, you are. Because when there is an opportunity, you won't take advantage of it. You're too cautious. And so when you start thinking about the customer service world, we oftentimes in a contact center also go the other way, meaning that we will cut and look for efficiencies to a degree uh, that it actually diminishes our ability to be effective. So we cut, 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 we, we micromanage, we micromanage, we micromanage, and it diminishes our opportunity for people to be engaged internally as well as externally. So we have to be smart. We have to invest correctly. We have to cut correctly. Uh, we, and, and we have to lead correctly. 
Because if we don't, we create a culture by which it's so burdensome and so gray and so damp and so dark, oftentimes it turns toxic. Mm -hmm. So what, what would you say characterizes a modern high-performing contact center today? If you had to sort of think about the trajectory of your career, and maybe in the early days there was more of an emphasis on this sort of black or white quantitative approach where you're looking at metrics and like you're saying, trying to drive these efficiencies aggressively, focusing on the numbers and, uh, and maybe bringing in the qualitative aspects tangentially or as a supplement. Uh, are those are those changes that you've seen or what what is it that today makes up the best performing modern contact centers? How do they think about these questions? I do think, and you know, again, I, I didn't really realize this until you were actually positioning it this way, is that they do take the investment mindset. Mm -hmm. If I invest in this, you know, what's the risk? What's the return? You know, what's the pitfalls to avoid? You know, and what's the potential gain? Now, a lot of times people will think about that perspective and say, oh, business case, business case. Well, that isn't always the situation. I had the opportunity to chat with somebody who was in an organization where they were really were all about decision making through that business case process. And she said that she had been engaging with her senior level manager and having a lot of conversations about an initiative that she had a lot of passion for and had been talking to him about it for quite a while. And so she took the initiative and went through building that business case because that's what their organizational culture was. And that was their process. And so she did that and had like a 25 page report and presentation and all that ready to go. And, and she handed it to him and said, I'd like to be able to present this to you. He saw what it was about and he laid it down and he goes, I don't need to see any of this. He goes, because we've talked so much. He goes, I know it's just the right thing to do. And boom, she was approved. <laughs> hmm. So there's an aspect of it, sort of intuition that comes with maybe this harder analytical process. But, but you know, you, you are saying that the, the most advanced and successful operations for customer service do think about this in terms of business case. I mean, they are essentially trying to boil down the qualitative and quantitative into a compelling ROI story for all intents and purposes, it seems. Yeah, it's it goes back to that whole value based component. I mean, you know, you know, and, and then the whole time value of money concept, which are very finance based, you know, type types of concepts. And so one of the things that, you know, is really a push by senior level leaders and organizations is trying to build this business acumen skill set uh, within their frontline leaders, because when you start looking at the higher performing contact centers, you know, it, they, you don't have frontline leaders in those contact centers where they are just managing the process. This is what we do. This is when we do it. This is how we do it. You know, and, and, you know, boom, check that box. That's not what they're doing. What they're doing is they're understanding, you know, the customer and taking in information, being able to, you know, uh, you know, you know, put that in a, in a format by which they can actually communicate to those senior level leaders. Um, and speak their language uh, and, you know, therefore, you know, be more action based and more action focused and look at it from a systematic and closed loop uh, perspective, meaning that we, we don't want to sit here forever and continually try to just take care of customer problems on an ongoing basis. And we've been fixing the same problem for, you know, the past year and a half. Well, no, let's get rid of the problem. 
And so mm-hmm. getting rid of that problem means that we need to invest in this, whatever it may be, uh, in order for us to get rid of that problem because it's affecting our customer retention. It's affecting our total average handle time. It's affecting uh, the, 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 the mental health you know, of our people who are actually having to handle these exact same problems over and over again. And so they, they look at it from more of what I refer to as an ecosystem perspective. So in other words, it's not just that I have to handle this volume and the volume's not going away or the volume's increasing. Or, no, they're looking at it from a, a strategic perspective and looking at all the different factors in order to be able to do what's right, both internally and externally. Yeah, it seems like a forest and a tree sort of approach here. Uh, when you think about, and as as you were talking uh, ab- about this unique approach and and what characterizes the the frontline supervisors thinking, you know, you you specialize in training call center supervisors, right? And in and in providing a framework for success for those individuals. What do you think? And what do you think characterizes? Uh, those folks as leaders versus leadership in general? Are there differences in how you approach the concept of leadership when it comes to call center supervisors? Or do you think that for the most part, it, 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 there's a lot in parallel to general leadership training? There, there, I mean, there, there are some, you know, I guess you'd say, you know, fundamental types of similarities with general leadership, but here's a contact center is unique than every single other business unit that exists. There is no other place in any organization where people's activities are measured to the degree that they are in a contact center. I mean, if prove me wrong, I've never found one. I mean, every single microsecond is is managed for and reviewed and the way that we go through our quality assurance processes, the way, I mean, all it, it's, it's vastly unique. And so when you start even talking about that, how do I most effectively balance that efficiency and effectiveness piece? You, you have to have leadership competencies that are contact center based. You can't take general leadership competencies and apply them to the contact center and expect to transform into being higher performing. It's just not going to happen. Right. It, 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 it can, mo- I see it most certainly creating specific challenges, you know, when, when managing, when managing staff and managing people in general, down to those very minute measurements, as you're talking about, it can, it can create unique challenges. Can you, can you talk to us a little bit about what do you think those challenges are and how, how do you provide a framework for those supervisors to overcome those challenges? What, what are the tactics there? Well, you know, I, I mean, as you were saying that, I started thinking about one of the things that I talk about a lot when we think about even just, just think about our whole uh, generate decades long problem with turnover, burnout, and morale problems in contact centers. And I mean, so hold on to that thought. And that is, you know, when we're trying to actually hire people to be working within our contact centers, you know, we screen them, you know, and some of us actually spend and, and invest a lot of money in, you know, psychomet- psychometric testing and things like that to make sure that we, you know, have the right profile of person who could be successful 
Um, but we, you know, we typically, you know, go through some effort in training people. We just don't say here, fill out the application. You start tomorrow. That's just not, you know, we don't do that. And so I would dare to say that there's nobody in the contact center industry that hires somebody who's already burnt out. I mean, we don't do that. I mean, those people don't make it through our qualification process. And so, okay. So we have to say that we're hiring people that are already engaged. They're excited to be here. And then when we look at those folks, 11 to 12 months down the road, do they have that same type of energy? Do they have that same type of excitement? So how, how is it that we suck that out of them? Because like I said, I, I, I was part of an organization that measured the customer experience for 15 years, customer relation, relationship metrics. And we found fairly consistently that measuring from a longitudinal perspective, ongoing measuring of the customer experience, we could tell through the data when agents started mentally checking out. We could see it in the data. Hmm. And it was pretty consistent across all types of contact centers and all kinds kinds of industries. And it and and that eleven month time frame was kind of like a drop off point. Uh, and so what we ended up doing is working with uh, the, our clients to be able to help them essentially prevent and do do some inter intervention activities prior to that eleven months. That was one thing, and then also you know figure out ways by which you know, they can continue to keep those, that, that excitement and all that, that they hired, you know, for, or that they hired, you know, people when they had it. And, and so when you start looking at that and who owns that, it's the frontline supervisor. Hmm. 80% of folks leave their job because of the direct relationship they have with their frontline supervisor. I mean, the, stu the studies show it over and over again. And right, absolutely. Unfortunately, when we look at how we typically go about selecting our frontline supervisors, the process usually goes something like this. Hey, you're gr a great agent, you know, and, and tomorrow you're going to be managing these 12 agents. Just tell them and show them what you what you do and know and everything will be great. But that's not what <laughs> that that's failure ready to happen. Uh, and so frontline supervisors fail at a greater than 50 percent rate. And so it's totally a sink or swim scenario. You know, and you talk about senior level leaders and contact centers, all of them that I talk to that have gone through the supervisor ranks and have gone through that path, they've had the exact same experience. Same. Right. And, it, you know, it's actually pretty consistent to, uh, in, in, in things like development as well, or, or you know, uh, software development where individual contributor does not equal management, right? I, I think it's, it's, it's really interesting to note also what you were talking about, managing to those metrics, making sure that you're identifying those patterns of burnout, uh, ensuring that you're providing the adequate levels of motivation, career advancement, and other things when you start seeing those trends. And I think that's actually a great transition into our featured project with, for today, which talks about how you put in place a, a training program for frontline supervisors at Deluxe Financial Services. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about that, uh, that initiative. Uh, give us a little bit of background on Deluxe and, and, and sort of what you were, what were the objectives of that project when you started? When I started working with Deluxe after being with AutoZone, um, I came into an organization that was going through a, a pretty significant organizational uh, transformation, which... <laughs> 
now thinking about it, it's like it really groomed me for what everything that is going on today. I mean, I don't know who isn't going through some type of transformation process. Uh, so this is like a, a you know a, a, an early stage or, or a, an early situation by going through that and a big learning. And so Deluxe used to, and if you have to think about the banking industry way back then, uh, where there was a lot of community banks and there were some regional banks and very few mega banks. And so for Deluxe was the, I was in the check printing division, so um, you know personal checking. Um, uh, is that which is now just about gone? But anyway, um, they had 65 printing facilities scattered throughout the country in order to be able to focus in on those local markets, and, and they had you know anywhere from three to 30 people that were customer service folks that would handle all the check orders from all the bankers and credit unions and stuff for their cus for their customers and members. And when I came in. Well, the, the world was changing, uh, technology was changing, and so they had an opportunity to now consolidate. And so what they had done is closed a lot of the printing facilities and just really kept the, the, the larger ones and, and depending on where they were regionally, um, that was also a decision factor. And the other thing was closing all of those smaller call centers and making three big ones. That was one in Syracuse, New York, one in Hunt Valley, California, and then one in Greensboro, North Carolina. And needless to say, I was in the one in Greensboro, North Carolina. And so our call centers were growing like crazy. And we needed leaders. We needed frontline leaders. And so, you know, we're like, okay, we can't wait to take somebody and then put them in that supervisor role and have them be responsible for, you know, 12 to, to 20 folks. I mean, that was that whole sink or swim scenario. And I've seen that fail so many times. And the funny thing is that companies are still doing that today. But anyway, we knew we couldn't do that. We had to people, we needed people to be ready to go. We needed to find people who were, you know, potential high performers as, as agents that had, you know, the possibility of being good supervisors and groom them. And so we created a team leader and training program that really took those folks that had the potential and prepared them for being a supervisor. And I was responsible for all the folks who went through the team leader and training program. And, uh, and so it, it was one of those things that it was interesting to see how many people who we thought, you know, would be a good supervisor because they were fantastic agents that just couldn't cut it, you know, because they were fantastic individual contributors, but they weren't, you know, really while they, thought that they would want to be or would like to be a leader of those folks. Uh, they just really, it wasn't where their passion was. And uh, some of them just didn't have the skills or competencies. And so it was great for us to be able to know that when we put somebody in a supervisor uh, position that we weren't going to have that 50% plus failure rate. Matter of fact, we had like a 90% a success rate. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's really interesting. And it ties back to what we were discussing earlier in the conversation, which is individual contribution is not an indicator for management skill set, right? So what were the, 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 the criteria that you were using to identify the right people in order to, to identify the, 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 those, those folks that would perform well in a leadership role? Can, can you walk us through the process, the criteria, and how did the hit rate change with identifying those folks as you evolved the program? 
Yeah, and I would dare to say that um, even to where I am today, the evolution of that is is you know quite significant because of everything that I've learned along the way. But when we first started, I mean, we were really looking at some of our you know typical you know performance indicators. You know, looking at things like attendance, looking at um, you know how they engage and interact with their uh, with their you know colleagues, how you know what their quality monitoring scores. I mean, it's the typical things that we had access to, and you know, likability, um, you know, how well did, and when we put them through an interview process, how well did they interview, uh, situational leadership, you know, scenarios, uh, we, you know, we, we tested them, uh, in situations. I mean, so there was ways that we went about essentially screening those folks. And a lot of it also, um, I do have to say, uh, was, was in, that you'd mentioned that word intuition and, you know, some, a lot of it was intuition based. Um, but we've, you know, we, we've gotten a lot better at that. Uh, and so we uh, we understand someone of more of what those you know tendencies and attributes are that make some you know of the most successful supervisors. And then we also have done a better job of defining and understanding the competencies and the skills within those competencies that are needed in order for them to be successful. So these models have been developed for you know for me you know the past twenty plus years and. It's one of those scenarios where you know you can, we can easily get that success rate you know above ninety percent now with some of the tools and uh, you know really uh, insight that we now have into what makes somebody or what's going to enable somebody to be successful and create that environment where success can occur. So the six core competencies that we focus on now are staff development, results orientation, communication and change management, customer service and sales collaborative relationships and business acumen. And those, if we can build skills in those six core competencies, as well as test them, you know, how, how, what do you have now? Um, You know, we know that those people are going to be on a pathway to success. And we actually call that the supervisor success path. And so we continue to really build skills within those competencies uh, because we know that this is really what the difference is going to be. And staff development you know, being one of the most important ones, because one of the key attributes that we know uh, is really needed for somebody uh, to be that that supervisor who develops others and who's responsible for them being successful is that they want to do just that, is that they want, they have a, de- a desire and a need to help other people be successful. If you don't have that, um, you're not going to make it. Hmm. That's so interesting. And actually, as you were saying, those those competencies or, or listing them out, they did seem quite relevant specifically to contact centers. I mean, obviously, general leadership also would include those competencies, but I can definitely see how those were would be especially relevant for this sort of environment. Uh, what I wanted to ask you is, let's, you know, could you walk us through, let's say, okay, we've identified somebody in within the contact center that has those competencies that has the, the the potential to become a great leader right from there once we've put them in that role can you walk us through what that looked like how did they go from great potential to great leadership what were the what were some of those success stories or steps or how did they progress along that journey well, and again, it's one of those things that what we used to do and what we do now, I mean, there's a whole lot of, you know, research and insight and understanding behind it. And back then, uh, you know, for us, 
you know, it was a situation where we did a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, uh, learning within their workflow. And so while they did take, you know, some classes, uh, we also, you know, had the opportunity to work with them on an ongoing basis. So I was, I mean, I mean, for me, they, they, I was shadowed, like, for example, you know, I uh, essentially, you know, did some shadowing, you know, where I, you know, observed, you know, kind of like when you go to a restaurant and you see that new waiter or waitress who's, you know, standing next to, you know, that that skilled waiter or waitress, you know, learning what they do, you know, so some of that went on. Um, and, it, and, and what we did realize and understand is that it took time. So we had an 18 month program to take those people who we first identified, put them into the team leader and training program and get them to the point to essentially we set them free, open up the gate. Here you go. Uh, and so when you start looking at people going through that maturation process, we had some people that were able to essentially be let loose, you know, within a year. Uh, because, you know, I mean, they were just able to hit all the points. They did a good job of coaching and mentoring and developing their own people. And we, <clears throat> we slowly, as we had new classes come out, kept adding to the size of their team to the point where they got to be, uh, uh, had a supervisor to agent ratio that was equivalent to people who had the team leader status and had the team leader job um, title, as well as the pay that was commensurate to go along with that. So, you know, it, it was interesting to see how some people were able to move through that quickly, you know, more quickly than others. And I will say, and, I, and I, for me, it's one of those things that I even try to instill with my, ki with my kids to today. And I think I was even doing it this morning, is that the, the folks who were able to move through that, that journey faster than others were the ones that were more self-disciplined and did work outside of work. Meaning they were, after they got off work, were doing things in order to enhance their leadership skills and abilities and competencies even more. And I even coach baseball and I, and I say to my, as I have a bunch of 13, 14 and 15 year old boys, is that I tell them, I said, look, good players, um, they just come to practice. Great players do work outside of practice. So what do you want to be? Right. That's really interesting. Huh. And, and so to, to sort of wrap, wrap the project up, I would love to learn, and I, I've been very intrigued to sort of be listening as you're going through to the differences that you've identified between now and, and back then. This project was about, you were, you were at the Lux about 20 years ago, and you've had so much time to see these challenges and opportunities throughout a variety of organizations and in your different roles, if you had to kind of put your finger on the biggest difference between the environments in contact centers today and what they were back then, what would you, what would you say that that biggest difference is? For me, I would have to say it's something that we've all experienced in our lives and that is the explosion of mobile. Um, you know, tech, technology in a lot of different ways uh, in regards to, you know, capacity planning and workforce scheduling, as well as uh, interaction management, uh, communication management, um, um, science, you know, of how do we learn, how do we engage, you know, that has made some significant changes. Uh, remote work, you know, not having a physical brick and mortar location, 
So there's been a lot of interesting dynamics. And I would dare to say that if you look at some of those changes and impacts, the fact is, is that if you look at them in the right way, it will actually bring you to the conclusion that we need stronger leadership than we've ever needed it before. Absolutely. It sounds like there's a lot of opportunity. Sounds like there's a lot of opportunity and future for what you're doing. So thank you for walking us through that, uh, Jim. Really fascinating stuff. I'd like to wrap up today's conversation with a lightning question that we tend to ask. And I think actually this is a really good segue from what we're talking about now, which is what's the future of customer experience look like to you, right? So we're talking about the past, the present, and what is the future? Where are we going? Where are the opportunities going to be for Call Center Coach and your other initiatives? I think for I think for me, what I'm finding and seeing more and more of, and and I I think a lot of us can can really appreciate this is that we have people at the the most higher end of the the organization. You know, we can just say C-suite if you want to just call it that for for this description or in this discussion. How, um, but we're seeing more and more of those people have uh, a, a scenario where they totally get and understand that the contact center is a vital portion and part of their business. Uh, you know, for, for many, and in certain industries, you'll still hear it every once in a while, they talk about back office. It's the back office. Well, that's not the case anymore. The contact center has become one of the most important departments, period. However, when you look at the people who are the decision makers and the strategy creators, those C-level folks, very, very few of them have ever had, you know, hands-on experience in the contact center. They're green. They're innocently ignorant. Um, and I mean, they just don't know. And so if they get exposed to certain pieces of information that, you know, is really, you know, put them, puts them in conflict on that whole efficiency, effectiveness, you know, type of evaluation and understanding and, and development, um, they could easily take things in the wrong direction for an organization. And I think also contact center people own some of that as well. So if you mean, you know, what I mean by that is that how do you talk about your contact center? When you talk to senior level leaders who are creating strategy and making decisions, are you talking to them about your productivity? You know, what are you talking about? And, and so we have to be really, really careful on what we share, how we share it, how we set it up. And we really need to speak more of that C-level suite, you know, business acumen, you know, type of, you know, communication. We need to speak their language, not ours. Because if we speak ours, we're just going to be micromanaged even more. And that's, nobody wants to work in that environment. Absolutely. It's about an evolution. I think you're right, uh, right on the money there. It's sort of taking, uh, becoming less tactical, more strategic. I think that also as the, as the human touch becomes ever more important with with the technological advances that we're having, you know, it's it's sort of the blending with the other lines of business and thinking about how do we how do we present ourselves to our customers? I mean, that is the job of the front line. It's becoming more and more important as the human touch is becoming a little bit more threatened by all the technological advances. And it, and in my mind, I think it's going to be increasingly important to to highlight that with future customers. Yeah, and then you have the whole societal dynamic of we are creating younger generations who are less empathetic. Uh, mm -hmm. They're more uncivil because they've had all of these experiences on seeing others be more uncivil. Um, you know, the, the whole social media thing, it's too easy to shout at somebody when you don't know them. 
It's too easy to talk bad about them and threaten them when you don't know them. Um, and, and so they've grown up in this environment. And so they're now in the workplace. And so we need them to really, you know, be better at, you know, having that emotional intelligence that can be displayed and understood because we know it's all about relationships that we need to create in the contact center. Um, and you know what? That's just yet another thing, like I had said, that really requires us to have even stronger leadership than we ever had before. Definitely. And I know that you're a, a uh, you know, proponent of developing that emotional intelligence. Perhaps it's a, a subject matter that we'll get into on our next conversation. Uh, but for now, I really do appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today, Jim. It was, it was really interesting to learn about this initiative at Deluxe Financial Services and also to tap into to, to your breadth and, and the evolution of your knowledge over these you know, two decades of experience within the space. So I really enjoyed the chat and I hope to speak to you again soon. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And to all of you out there listening, keep making moves. You've been listening to The CX Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. For more information on how SailMove enables the world's top companies to deliver the in-person customer experience online, please visit SailMove.com.